when you're running a business, there's definitely a, some merit to the who, not how um, line of thinking. Um, uh, I need to do it more myself, frankly. I think if you know that you're the type of person who does like to learn or who does like to challenge themselves, I think that's where the real benefit um, comes from. So there's a certain, you know, when we give ourselves these self-limiting beliefs of I can't do something or I'm not capable of something, that's very different from I don't want to do something. And it's the things that you think you can't do that I think are worth exploring and um, trying to get down to the core and really asking yourself, why do you think that way? At what point in your life did you start telling yourself that? Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season three, discuss how to build a community and a referral network. Today, I have Skylar Reeves, the founder and CEO of Ardent Growth, a marketing firm that helps B2B brands capture their total searchable market and accelerate go-to-market with a unique RevOps framework that lays on top of your existing HubSpot instance. Welcome, Skylar. Thanks for having me. And your your very fancy uh, podcast room there, which I is worth highlighting. It's it's, it's very nice. Uh, but where I want to selfishly start is, with is a topic that I care a lot about. We talked about this last time, which is philosophy. Um, and we don't have to take up a lot of time on this, but I just want to understand why you're interested in philosophy. And and the second part of that is, you know, which philosopher would you recommend people start with if they just want to get into the topic? Yeah. So I mean, as far as why I'm why I'm interested in it, I think. I think most most people are at some level, right? I think we, especially when we're kids, we're, we ask a lot of why questions, and uh, that kind of gets stamped out of us, uh, you know, as we go through uh, elementary and or primary and uh, secondary school. But the uh, after I got out of the military, I uh, went to college and wanted to pursue uh, uh, computer science and. Uh, uh, Tax philosophy on there, uh, along with it, because the uh, the military was uh, was footing the bill. So I was like, well, so when did a few different uh, uh, majors uh, throughout the whole time. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was a uh, a good chance to learn, a good chance to explore, ask deeper questions, uh, get to know myself and um, and also really work through how to think uh, critically, how to think through things uh, logically and coherently. As far as where to start. Oh, gosh. Um Honestly, I think if I think a good place to start is sometimes starting with the history before you, because a lot of the questions themselves are are more accessible um, if someone is just, you know, asking questions about what's the point of existence, et cetera. But a good place uh, to kind of get your get a grasp that's very accessible and easy to understand is uh, Bertrand Russell wrote the history of Western philosophy. Um, he does a pretty good job of uh, making it uh, fairly lucid to understand. So I think getting a good overview of philosophy and the various thinkers and the way thought has evolved over time um, is a good place. It's a good it's a good introduction to get a, a, a lot of exposure. But I know a lot of people start with, say, um, Aurelius with the meditations, things like that. Those those are those resonate, I think, a lot with uh, business owners. So. That, yeah, no, that was great. Uh, great recommendation, too. <clears throat> Um, and the last time we spoke, uh, just to change the subject now, um, you shared an interesting story, uh, I'll, I'll help you remember if, if you need it, uh, about how you actually focus on things that you're bad at, and then you eventually turn them into a strength. And, um, I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was about being like bad at math, which led to algorithm design and then eventually SEO. Okay. Awesome. 
Um, but a lot of self-help books and all that kind of stuff, they actually usually say like, you should double down on what you're good at and then hire skills that you're bad at. Um, so I guess my, my question there is, you know, can you actually sh- just share why you think it's important to kind of do the reverse and, and share why you want to focus on things you're bad at? So uh, I, I don't think it's an either, or I think it's a, it's an, and, uh, mm-hmm. scenario. I think it's, uh, you know, when you're running a business, there's definitely, a some merit to the who, not how, um, line of thinking, um, uh, I need to do it more myself, frankly. I think if you know that you're the type of person who does like to learn or who does like to challenge themselves, I think that's where the real benefit um, comes from. So there's there's a certain, you know, when we give ourselves these self-limiting beliefs of I can't do something or I'm not capable of something, that's very different from I don't want to do something. And it's the things that you think you can't do that I think are worth exploring and um trying to get down to the core and really asking yourself why do you think that way at what point in your life did you start telling yourself that Um, what evidence do you have to support that you can't do something and uh to kind of highlight you know the story there was i was uh, historically did poor in math um you know i think uh pretty sure the only way i graduated high school was uh george bush's uh no left behind uh, no child left behind act or whatever so I uh, went and yeah, I went and joined the military, and uh, you know, in you know, in hindsight, it's like I went through medical school, through the military, trauma mess, and things like that. Learned a ton about anatomy and medicine, and treating people and saving lives, and while simultaneously learning tactics. Um, you know, I worked. I was with the infantry, so there wasn't anything, uh, you know, super extreme on the intelligence side or anything. But just kind of how to kick down doors. But the Towards the end, I I re- came across uh, Carol Dweck's book um, uh, Mindset. It's about uh, it's where the the growth mindset comes from. Read it, and it was such a light bulb moment for me that I was like, oh, I was like, maybe I'm not bad at math. Maybe I'm just lazy. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I've spent at this point twenty ish years learning English. I feel like I've you know, mastered it to some extent. I was like, imagine if I'd spent 20 years uh, learning math. Like, I'm sure I would be significantly better than than what I am currently. And so I uh, kind of set a goal to say, all right, I'm gonna go learn math. And uh, I think I remember I started like back at like fractions again at the time. And uh, I was doing Khan Academy because it was free and it was just a great yeah. resource that was available. So uh, self-taught myself all the way through, um, through calculus and into linear algebra and then, uh, Right for that, went to uh, went to university and ended up uh, getting a computer science degree and uh, designing algorithms. And now I uh, I love math. I'm not. Uh, I tell people like it's not like I'm like great at math, but I enjoy it now. I've learned to enjoy the uh, what comes with learning it, what comes with hard work, and that's really applied across a lot of things ever since then. It's um, but again, I think it comes back to saying. Uh, don't give yourself these self-limiting beliefs that you can't do something, but also being aware that if you don't want to do something, if you don't enjoy it um, and you don't enjoy it for the right reason. So I didn't enjoy math, not because I just inherently hated it. I didn't enjoy it because I wasn't good at it. And there's a that's a there's a very clear distinction there, I think. And so that's worth exploring sometimes to ask yourself, maybe, maybe try. Um, especially if you, so like my litmus test is, would I be proud of telling anybody that I'm not good at this or that, um, 
you know, a lot of people, we, we go around now, we say things like, oh, I'm bad at math and, and no one really cares. But like, imagine if you went around saying, I'm bad at reading. It would, it would have a very different stigma to it, right? So I, uh, that's my litmus test now is to ask myself, like, would I feel good being able to say, like, I've, I've gotten better at this. And if that's the case, then maybe I should explore it a bit because maybe inside, like, I do want to be better and I'm just afraid to, so. Well, this is my opportunity to mention one of the my favorite things, and and if we'll see if we'll see how far we go in this. But I have this thing where, like, I I, I think you know I, I'm obsessed with learning what makes a successful person. And Alex, you've heard me kind of bring this up once or twice, but you know whether I'm right or wrong, what I think I boiled it down to is is self awareness, which turns into motivation, which turns into discipline. Um, and one, I just want to hear your general thoughts on that. But the question that I actually was going to ask before I, I thought of that is like, what pushes you through the tough parts of, of learning something like that? And, and that's what made me think, oh, is it is it this little cycle of, of self-awareness, motivation and discipline? Um, but just wanted you to talk through that a little bit. Yeah, I think it's um, it probably comes a lot of it has to do with how you're looking at the both the micro and the macro simultaneously sometimes. So in the micro, I don't think about the macro and i just think about what's the small win um mm. but when i'm if i do feel like i'm kind of hitting against the wall like whether i'm trying to i mean I, in the world of software development it's like a lot of times you're solving novel problems um unless you're just you know uh just on a team somewhere just banging out code for somebody but um, in that world of solving novel problems uh it's it's you're always going to hit a brick wall at some point and um, there's always something that goes wrong you got to troubleshoot you got to figure out you know you're, you don't even know how to approach the problem and i think what helps me push through there is the experience of i look back and i say you know things may be hard but if i just start to calculate up the progress that i've made over a year you start to realize what that gulf looks like and so i remind myself of that sometimes and say of course like nothing's ever easy when you first started right like we all suck when we first start something like that's that's just how it goes um but with enough effort i know that like i'll get better i will improve like uh was it hermosi puts this pretty well it's like you know what would i have to do uh such that uh, it would be unreasonable uh that i wouldn't improve or get better at this so that's uh yeah, I kind of think about that and I'm just like, well, yeah, I know if I push through it, like I'll get better over time and it'll still always suck in the moment. But if I reflect back, it'll you'll be able to see the uh, the progress and the growth and that that can definitely be motivating. So. That was, that was great. Um, do you ever have friends, girlfriends, wives, whatever, significant others uh, that get annoyed with your uh, I, I speak for myself with ph philosophy quotes, because sometimes I say that and pe people are like man, I don't want to hear that right now, but like, it's done so good for me, like so much good for me that like, I usually want to share, but people usually don't want to hear it. Do you have the same thing at all? Yeah. Then I, I did for a while and then I just stopped being around those that's, people. So that's what that's, I did. That, that, that was my general solution. Yeah. You know, I went through, you know, uh, I've been through, had a lot of different relationships, right. And I finally found uh, somebody who uh, doesn't, who supports it. Right. She may not care about it, but she doesn't complain. She gets it. And uh, you know, and uh, that's, I think uh, a big thing for me too is just, and I think everybody should reflect on this periodically is nothing says that you have to be around people who aren't helping you grow, who aren't helping you be better, who are trying to hold you back or want to complain um, about who you are. Right. So um, sometimes like 
I mean, if, if it's, if, you know, if you don't care, Matt, go for it. Like who, who cares? Be around those people. Right. But if it's, if you, if you're, if you feel frustration, if you feel anxiety, don't put yourself in those situations. Like you're not beholden to anybody. You don't have to be around those people. Just cut them out of your life. Well, I'll, I'll end that with a quote, which is uh, be strict on yourself and lenient on others, which I think is Marcus yeah. Reyes, if not a, another yep. stoic, uh, stoic person. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So now uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that we're going to get some more philosophy in here, which is just my my dream. So uh, keep keep with the quotes and everything. Um, I, w- I want to get a little bit into the nitty gritty stuff. Um, and I understand that you you we talked last time and you recently shifted your thought process towards you know, like productivity instead of utilization. Um, so can you kind of just explain what that means and, and how it's impacted your firm? Yeah. So I spent, uh, all throughout college, I was very obsessive about tracking how I was spending my time. Um, I had everything organized, knew exactly what I was doing and that worked well because I was in a very structured environment. Um, you know, you, you know, you have class at X, Y, Z time, you know, if you're doing, uh, you know, a, four, a full course load is, uh, you know, you get your three credit hours and you're supposed to spend something like four times that um, studying, right? And so it made it very easy. The structured people were planning my day for me, more or less. When the corporate world worked in business for somebody else, same thing. You've got structure. Uh, then sort of my own business and thing went, things just went to complete shit after that. And so uh, we, I spent three years trying to solve this utilization problem, not only for myself of productivity, but also for our team and, and you know, uh, trying to maximize like what's the value we're able to get out of people, um, you know, within reason. And I was constantly just fighting this problem. There was never a good solution. And it wasn't always just based off of the limitations of tools, right? I think I've gone through a project management tool in the market. Mm. And at a certain point, you have to kind of step back and say, you know, if you're constantly just running into this friction, maybe you're thinking about the problem wrong and that's something i uh, you talk about self-awareness like at least so at least once a year I, I try to sit down and really like question all my fundamental beliefs just to make sure that i'm not like living in like dogma and uh i got a little bit early with that one uh, this year and, and kind of said maybe i'm just not looking at this problem right maybe you know there's there's got to be some sort of underlying problem here and so I said, let me step outside of the Western sort of general mantra of how to approach work, how to approach productivity, how to approach, you know, the, the way we approach business and uh, and leadership and management and uh, went and looked at uh, what they teach in the East, which is also a great thing to do with philosophy periodically, too. There's a lot of emphasis on Western philosophy, but you can go to Eastern philosophy now and then and learn a thing or two as well. And so I went and studied, um, you know, how they did it in Japan and, uh, you know, came across something I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, like lean management from and the principles of Toyota and, you know, Kanban, things like that. And uh, the tricky part was most of the information available, if you're looking for it online, had been completely bastardized by the West, where we wanted to take the the, the fundamental philosophy or the fundamental system and just layer, just completely um, like bogus or misapplied like management structures and uh, artifacts on top of it. And so I had to kind of like parse through that and get all that out of the way and try to really get down to the core. And uh, and when I did, um, it just all of a sudden it made sense. So a few things that we started applying here internally was historically we had focused on utilization, right? So you're looking at capacity and utilization. You got so much, so many hours of um, a team can work in a week, right? Across your, across your team. How can we maximize utilization so that, uh, you know, we're, we're reducing our, 
overall liability in terms of the cost that we're spending on this because it's a fixed cost you're paying it you know um, whether they're working or not especially if they're um you know a full-time employee if they're w-2 or um or you have them on some sort of fixed payment schedule salary etc and uh so when you go down that path one of the things that you're typically want to do a lot of agency owners they want to track time right they're like hey track your time on your tasks and one there was constant you know even even when people wanted to adopt it including myself right which i was never even good at doing it either and if i can't do it how can i expect everyone else to do it but even when people weren't necessarily against the idea of doing it and they wanted to do it like there were it was always off oh, you know you didn't know if it was accurate or they forget to do it here or they forget to do it there or like the data's not right and we knew it right and it's like if the data's not gonna be right why are we measuring this and so there was sort of two things there I realized one i was like you have to accept that not all of data is going to be perfect and maybe you're trying to get too granular so don't get too granular on things and two maybe we need to step back and ask ourselves are we are we measuring the right thing and so from Kanban, what I took away from it was we shift the focus from utilization to throughput. So looking at the way, like throughput being like, how many things did we actually finish? This is something I think a lot of agencies run into a problem with is they'll start a lot of different things and, you know, but how, how many things are they actually finishing, right? How many projects do you have sitting on the shelf? You're waiting on client feedback. You're waiting on, uh, you know, a team meeting you're waiting on oh i'm going to get to that one day because you don't really want to mess with it and you know you're, you procrastinate etc right and so it just sits there and as it sits there it, like there's costs that are incurred with that too like when you pick back up a project you haven't touched in a while like you have to reorient yourself right it's it's like it's like the macro level of context switching and so uh so we shift our focus to throughput because i said okay throughput is effectively saying how how much value right are we delivering to the customer it's these are things these are actual finished work products right it's like tangible realizable value delivered to the customer it isn't something that oh hey we finished this item and ask yourself what would a customer want to pay for that are they going to be happy to receive that and if they don't we kept consolidating it up until it reached a point where you bundle things together and it's an actual you know something of real value that, that a customer is happy to receive and so that shift from thinking about cost and utilization and maximizing you know a the, you know like i said the cost center of internally within the business instead of focusing on how much value am i delivering to customers how quickly can i deliver that value to uh, to the customer completely changed um not only how we how much work we're getting done because at first i thought okay if we're only going to limit ourselves to working on one thing at a time right like uh each team it's like you work it's the whole mantra is stop stop starting start finishing and so it's we work on one thing and it, until it's finished and no one's ever waiting around with nothing to do because if they are uh they can go help somebody else swarm a particular thing and get it done faster and that's that tends to be the way we approach it and we always start from right to left so you start with the thing that's closest to being um, finished in the pipeline um and then work your way uh you know towards what we call a backlog right and at first i thought okay if we limit ourselves to working on one thing at a time like we're not going to get nearly as much done like we're going to be behind like you know but i said like well fuck it we're behind half the time anyway like what do we got to lose right and so um so we that's what we did and uh believe it or not we actually got more things done and our mental health definitely improved like we were working i was working like 16 hour days and now now work like eight to nine ish 
right? And the team as well, like some of our teams on salary, you know, they were working 10 hour days and now they're working, you know, seven, half, eight, if they get, you know, if they got their stuff done. It's like, I go home, I don't care. Right. And, um, you know, or log off or whatever. And so it's definitely helped our mental health. It's, it's improved the overall mood. Um, and we've gotten a lot better at, uh, being able to predict how long something's going to take. So one of the things that once you begin to track data and you think about what's the work automate, work automate is how many days has this been in flight in progress being worked on, right? So we track that. And so trying to, trying to track time at a granular hour minute level, we just think of it as basically half a day to a day. You move a task from to do to doing, right? And when it goes from doing, from doing to review or review to done or however you have your, your column set up based on that system, um, we, we can just use the timestamps between, well, it's set in doing for 1.5 days or however many hours it was, just extract that into days and, uh, and before it went to done. And that tells me how long it took, right? The actual full cycle time, not just the, the active time that you were actually working on the task itself. And so when we did that, um, then we're able to calculate things like flow efficiency. How efficiently are we actually moving things to the pipeline? Um, and if, if this sounds absurd, here's here's an example of uh, what this looks like in practice. Um, so obviously, like like stuff like McDonald's, right? Like works in a, in a in a very like flow type system, right? People do one particular thing most of the time, right? It moves left to right, you know, from order to customer. Uh, something that doesn't are things like hospitals and airports. Mm. And I think we all know what it's like to like sit and wait. You know, they start calling, uh, you know, group one for the airport. You're, you know, you get up because you're in group one, but you got group two, three and seven in front of you. Right. And you're waiting there and you know, you rush to get in, go through TSA. Like it's it inverts the system where the airport, like they maximize the uh, the value around keeping the planes in the air and um, serviced and the, and the and pilots flying. They don't maximize the customer experience. And it's extremely frustrating. I don't think anybody really likes to to go through TSA and get on a plane, right? Like it's a pain in the ass. I'm a pretty sick same, person and I love it for yeah, some reason. It's the same thing at the hospital, right? Like, and so like now think about that experience and then just realize that when you focus on utilization, because they're maximizing doctors, they're maximizing pilots and planes and materials, right? When you focus on that, that's exactly the experience you're putting your customer through. And I've learned, I guess, over time now that, uh, you know, if you just kind of focus on like customer experience and make sure your customers, uh, one, do the work that you're required to do, right? Get them the results that you're supposed to get them, but also make sure they have a good experience that it's great for them. Things just sort of work out, you know, without a ton of stress. And uh, your, your people are happier. Your customers are happier. They refer, they refer more people to you. They you, you keep them retained for longer, right? Like, and it's all like, it's all these intangible costs that you can't see on a PL that are you know that are actually there and uh so yeah so that was uh that's a long-winded way of, of saying that but uh but the forecasting is nice too because once you do it enough you can start to oh i won't go too deep in this but you can start to run what's called monte carlo simulations where when a customer you say you got a customer asks for xyz thing like you can just run a model on it um and instead of telling them, just making up some number out of your ass of like, oh, we can get this to you by next Friday, right? Because I'm sure we've all said that and we have no idea. And our ops people are always like, what do you mean next Friday? Like, like, where did you come up with that? And they make up the numbers half the time too, right? 
And uh, but when you run a Monte Carlo simulation, you can say we have an 85 percent chance of completing this um, this work item uh, within 10 days. And because uh, it, it runs a pop probabilistic model over over we usually run over like a million um, scenarios. And uh, hey, it, it actually turns out to be right. Um, 85 percent of the time so that's a it's a much better way of forecasting and, and planning capacity and and what you can actually uh, do without you know overloading your team and lying to customers or at least setting the right expectations with them yeah i think setting the right expectations is the most important thing for retention um right it's it's kind of on on the scale of um um what was the expected experience um in comparison to the actual experience and I think you simplified it really well is that you're putting the client the client request through the system as quickly and efficiently as possible. In order to get to that, what had to change in your organization is going from, let's say, the usual way that things are done uh, within an agency to, you know, it might seem like a small shift, but structurally in your the way you organize your team, the way they communicate with clients, that all had to change. How did you, I guess, how did you implement that process? Like what actually yeah. had to take place within the organization for you to make that happen? Yeah, so I'm sure it's gonna vary by, um, you know, by company. One thing I'll say is if you bill hourly, it, it, this will not work um, very well for you. Um, uh, that's a whole nother problem to, you know, to mm -hmm. kind of address internally. There may be some things that should be billed hourly, right? But uh, I think for the most part, you should, you should either build, you know, fixed cost and or uh, value-based. But uh, some things that we learned and uh, we like very quickly implemented right off the bat that helped a ton was when you get into Kanban, um, uh, one of the principles is, is you want to, you want to see your work, right? You want to, you want to have visibility of the work. And that means actually working in a legitimate Kanban, not in a list, right? So that way you see things moving left to right through a pipeline. It's backlog to do doing done or however you, mm -hmm. um, like if we're doing content, it, there's, there's like 12 different stages that it goes through. Okay. So that was, uh, being able to visually see the work and know where something is stuck at was a was a big one because that that at least lets you know where bottlenecks are. Um, I think most people can implement that without any like major heavy lift, depending on what project management system they're using. A lot of them have a list and a Kanban view that you can like switch back and forth between. Um, but a key thing that you'll learn about is like what's called WIP, work in progress. And you usually put WIP limits on yourself. What you don't want to do is you don't want to put a WIP limit on yourself from the get go. So what that means is you might say, okay, at any given time, each person should only have anywhere about uh, two things in flight at any given time. That might be your theoretical limit. Do not try to do that from the get go. What you're far better off doing is saying just look at it from a Kanban view, continue to do the work as you do it, just like you normally would. And then reflect back on that work and say, okay, looking at how things move through each stage, right? Especially if you're working with a system that will give you the little timestamps on as when it moves between columns, um, you then look to say, okay, where, what stage did it sit in the longest without any, especially without any actual work being done? And you look at that area and you say, okay, why did that happen? Did it happen because we were waiting on a customer? 
waiting on feedback, right? Or, you know, it's an external uh, constraint that we can't control. Was it because, um, you know, the training of the team wasn't where it needed to be or somebody was too busy working on something else? Or was it because this person was juggling seven different things, right? And they're constant context switching. And so it's it's just to be able to like start with getting visibility of what's going on and identify some of the constraints and just kind of ask yourself, okay, looking at these constraints, how might we solve this before we start to introduce whip limits, right? So one of the things with us, with customers, we were producing content and, uh, you know, we were waiting on feedback, like, hey, is this, do you approve this, et cetera, right? And, you know, some industries it's gonna be easier than others, right? Um, but what we ended up doing, because everyone in their mind, every customer is like, oh yeah, I can definitely get that back to you in under 24 hours um or 48 but uh but the truth of the matter is they don't start their week and go time block out time to review the content that you send them right and it doesn't matter what you have in your msa of like you know here's how how quickly you got to get back to us so what we said is we said okay how can we solve this problem what what could we do because when you think about it when they actually sit down and review the content it maybe takes them 20 30 minutes if that and so we just start saying okay fine we're going to block and we're going to meet with you every friday and we're going to do this together on a call. We're going to go through and review and get approval on this. And that did two things. One, it made it made sure that things were actually moving. It continued to move the way they needed to. Um, it was a, when you put an event on your calendar, it's a meeting. Like that time is now locked in, right? Like they show up, the work gets done. Um, the other thing too, is it prevented a lot of the just unnecessary stuff that sometimes you'll get from clients on feedback because you can enter the call and set the expectations of here's what we're trying to accomplish as we edit this. Cause I think sometimes, and again, this is specific to the world of like content marketing, but uh, you run to this with web design or video editing, et cetera, right? Where uh, you give a customer something to review, like a piece of content and tell them to edit it. Most customers are not at trained editors, right? They're like, there's a way to edit content. There's different stages of editing, different types of editing. You have to kind of know what the writer's looking for, et cetera. Most writers or most customers are not trained editors, but everyone thinks that they are. Just like everyone thinks that they can write when half the time what they're really doing is just hitting keys on a keyboard. And so what happens is you ask them to edit it and they, in their mind, think, I have to, to provide feedback here, right? Like I have to, I have to do something. I have to, I don't know if it's like a, I need to assert control or I need to assert my knowledge or what, right? So getting on a call with them streamline that a ton because we can say yeah we're not here to talk about grammar we're not here to talk about what we're looking is is anything we said here not true or is anything in here that we need to to dig deeper on do you have any anecdotes any stories any customer stories any unique insights opinions that we can add to really turn this into something um, more unique to you right and that really changes the dynamic of it because if you can get that part right then when you give them because we can all edit for grammar it's not you know we usually do that at the end right then when you deliver it to them at the end they're like, I love this. This is great. And so that ended up actually releasing a constraint towards the back end that we didn't even foresee because then it, it, it improves the, the the overall velocity of how long it takes to, to get everything approved and get it published. So again, finding some of the constraints is a big thing. And then over time, as you do that, one thing that we said was, okay, we understand how many things we have in flight. Let's see how long it takes for things to move through. So we want to see what's, what's called departure rate. How long does it take from the time that something is in to the time that it's finished? And then we want to try to balance the departure rate with the arrival rate. So uh, 
what we start to say is, okay, we're gonna leave things in the backlog instead of adding things and starting new things. So that's the biggest one. Instead of starting something new, just focus on getting what's already in flight finished. And once you get a sense of as, you know, once you get it down to the point where it is maybe two or three things, again, depending on the team and the nature of your work and how quick your turnaround time is, right? You have to kind of figure this out for your own business. Um, once you get a sense of what that departure rate looks like, then you can start to say, as something leaves, I can now go pull something else off the top and bring it in. That way you have a balance of, of arrival and departure at a one-to-one -one ratio would be the ideal. It's not always going to be that way, but that's the biggest thing is saying, let's not start anything new. You know, Let's stop starting new stuff and let's start finishing what we already have in progress. Let's deliver this value to the customer because we already said we were going to, let's just focus on getting that done. And I think most people could do that. And that means saying no to new requests or just telling customers when they say, hey, can you do X, Y, Z? You could say, uh, yes, but I can't start that. And if you don't, like whatever time you think you could start it by, just multiply it by like three. If it's like, I can get that done on next Friday, it's like, yes, but we can't start it um, for three weeks. And I think a lot of times we think that we have to tell our customers like, oh, yeah, I can get that as, to you as soon as possible. Because in our world, we think that we're extremely important to them, that we're a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing in their day, right? And if you just tell them, yes, but we've got to finish what we've already worked on for you. We want to get this done. That way, you know, you get the value that, that, you've, that you've already bought or paid for or whatever we've said we were going to do for you. And we can start this in two weeks or three weeks or whatever. I've yet to have anyone get pissed off or mad about that. They're like, okay, great. Sounds good. And yeah, so it's, it's like, it's getting over that mental hurdle of just being able to tell people like, yes, but I can't start until, you know, X date. Yeah. But I feel like most people don't want to be surprised, right? If, yeah. if, if they're running a business, they rely on you for some, some type of consistency that they're paying for. And your goal is to deliver it. So if, if that means it starts in three weeks, then that's a lot better than saying that, yes, we'll finish it by the end of the week. And then three weeks later, it's still not done. So right. I, yeah. I applaud you for setting up a process specifically for that, um, because a lot of times that doesn't happen. And it's like, I'm sure we've all had the friend that says yes to everything and is the one that um, backs out pretty much, you know. The most. Yeah, and, and not and it's and I'm sure we've done it ourselves too, right? And it's not that we wanted to. It's yeah. just how it it's just how it happens, right? So it's like look at the behavior and change the behavior. Like ask yourself, like, what's the root cause here? How do I change it? And again, I think a big part of it's just fear. It's fear of telling the clients either either A, no, or yes, but. And it's they really don't don't care for the most part. Again, they just want to know. They want the thing done. And if it's something that's like really urgent. Okay. They'll let you know. They'll say, I really need this like this week. Is there any way we can expedite this? Right. And then there's your chance to make more margin. Just like, sure, you know, 200% the cost. Right. And if it's really that urgent, they'll pay it. And we've done that for folks before. And, you know, something that's normally $10,000 is all of a sudden $20,000. And hey, like, and it's, and it's fine. That's the point at which you can say, all right, fine. This now takes precedence. We will get this finished um, as soon as possible, right? Because they're paying for it. And yeah. so we will expedite that through because you do get, um, you get excess, you know, get plenty of extra margin from it. And again, 
that doesn't once you do begin to double stuff like that uh, one it won't happen all that often and if it does you're probably charging way too less to begin with anyway so that's a that's like a pricing problem there um and then too like it's a uh if it's not really that urgent they'll 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 let you know because you're not saying no you're giving them an option and people want options and um and realistic expectations so there's a lot of things going back to discipline that you've implemented in your in your company. We spent a good amount of time talking about the operations, and I'm sure if we kept digging, we would continue to find more gold. But I do want to spend a little bit more time and talk about your positioning. And so in the intro, Josh mentioned you help B2B brands capture their total searchable market and accelerate go-to-market with a unique RevOps framework that lays on top of your existing HubSpot instance, super specific. How did you get to that? Yeah, I mean, it's we make people money is what we do. Yeah, I mean, like it's a lot of it's just a lot of words that basically amount to we we make people money. If there's um, a, there's a, it seems like you're hitting a specific niche with that. We are. I mean, like we've worked with a lot of different niches and here for the past, I guess, year, we've primarily worked with other marketing agencies, um, actually marketing them because most of them are too busy to market themselves. Or, you know, they always say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it this month. And then it just never happens. Right. Cause there's always a client fire or, you know, something else always comes up. They got to hire somebody or fire somebody or whatever. And so we, uh, we found a pain point there and we started helping them. Um, that said, um, we basically like every problem that we solve right now it's just been a problem that we faced and we just uh if something doesn't exist to solve the problem i'm like i'm gonna build it i'm just, I'm just gonna go build it um and i don't try to build anything that's like not trying to launch software services here right like we, it's, we're, we're we're primarily tech enabled service um it just makes you more lean faster and um and you also get you know price disparity because different industries value things in different ways so um that's something I think a lot how of did you, don't don't think about. How did you but. niche down to marketing agencies? Because I think a lot of a lot of the listeners of this podcast are um, thinking through. You know, they're going to take whatever business comes in, then they get overwhelmed, and then how do you filter down and pick? How did that happen for you? Um, we had uh, so we we used to compete with uh, with Chris Dreyer from Rankings.io uh, back when we were focusing on like lawyers and legal in that industry. And, uh, mm -hmm. then I got really, I realized I hated working with lawyers. Um, lawyers are fine people. I just don't like work. I just, I just don't like the space. It's, I was like, okay, this is, uh, let's find something different. And, um, he approached us and said, Hey, I like you guys' this content. I like what y'all do. Like, I would, I'd love if y'all did stuff for us. And so I said, sure, why not? Like, you know, let's give it a go. And I mean, we're effectively now just creating content and doing SEO and, uh, it turned into full-blown marketing like like real marketing you know where you're doing marketing research brand brand strategy etc um you know for a company that's just like ours to an extent like it's a marketing agency we get it we know it there's nothing new to learn here um and uh so we started in that film uh and, and he already had a good brand to begin with had a great solid foundation he gets he gets growth one of the best um one of the best agency owners i've uh you know, that i'm uh, lucky enough to know and uh it was it was great working with him and uh that's when we internally we kind of had a chat and we we're like hey you know like we started working with another agency doing some work for them and then we realized oh shit, we like working with other agencies um because most of them just let us do what we do because they get it right and they don't have to worry about 
you know, is this a, is this some freelancer who, who, who just doesn't get it? It's just, just learned all their shit from, from Google or whatever. And it's like, no, nah, like we've, uh, I mean, the wrong, I, I learned from Google in the beginning and then I, I started working on an MBA in marketing and that's like a whole completely opened my fucking, my mind to the world of marketing and all the shit I wish I would have learned, but, uh, prior, but, uh, he knows that he can trust us. Right. And, and other agencies got that too. We just, we knew what to do. And so, uh, that's how we kind of just fell into that space. But that being said, I, um, I just came back from an event in, uh, Palm Springs with, uh, a group of like 30 ish, um, agency owners all doing, um, anywhere between, uh, I think lowest is around like 4 million ARR and highest is, you know, um, upwards of, uh, like 18 million, um, and we all come together and we just kind of open our books and, and problems and everything and all kind of collaborate and uh we had a speaker there who is getting ready to make an exit for uh you know 200 million dollars and uh, they run an agency and uh you know it, it, I, I did some thinking there afterwards and um you know i wonder sometimes like hey you know have we limited our tam here so I think it's I think it's good to niche to find your niche. I think it's like, hey, work with work with whoever. I get that. Like you gotta make money in the beginning. Um, and you also gotta figure out who you like working with and what industry you like. Um, especially as a if if you're a founder who's actually still working in the business, like you need to kind of like it to some extent in order to have the motivation to get to keep everyone else motivated. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to always stay in it. So it's a good place to figure out what you like, what you're going to enjoy doing. Um, but also be aware that as a founder, as a high performance individual, you are going to chase shiny objects. You are going to get bored easily. And sometimes you're going to say, well, let me change niches. Let me change service offerings. Let me add this new thing because you get bored, but understand that your team isn't necessarily bored. And all you do is inject chaos into their lives and hurt your bottom line frankly and so just be aware of that as you are finding uh the niche that you like um and uh once things start to get boring don't change if it's making you money and it's consistent just start hiring people to run your company at that point and just let it make money and you go solve whatever novel problems you want to on the side but just let that thing start printing you money at that point because that's when you know you've got something so that's um that's something I've had to do some reflection on because we we used to work in some more boring industries and they made us plenty of money. And uh, it reached a point where it's like, we just got unpredictable results. It was just always working. And I was like, well, this is boring. Let me go solve some new no novel problem. And, uh, you know, and then revenue takes a dip. And so I have to kind of, I have to think about my own ego. And I think everyone probably should to some extent, unless like you're just born to be a business God, right? Like you just know this stuff, like, like Athena, the head of Zeus or something like, and, uh, so we've been doing some reflecting on that saying, maybe we go back to boring to some extent and, uh, just hire people <laughs> and just let them grow the thing. So that's, uh, uh that's how I ended up with agencies, but that's how I've also, you know, uh, in beginning to kind of think about the expansion of, of our TAM as well. So, you know, Josh and I are spending a lot of time talking about, um, community from this podcast because we're interviewing marketing agency owners and so you've you're scratching the surface of some the next topic that we want to dive into which is community marketing agencies tend to usually partner with other marketing agencies 
because most clients, they just want one company to do it, but really it's a whole suite of services that no one is fully specialized in all of them. Um, so I want to, I'll hand it over to Josh to dive into that. And then also you mentioned what you're doing within your own company and how you build a community to take something that works. And then, as you said, like start hiring and don't inject chaos. So Josh, I'll kick it over to you for those questions. Yeah, no. And and I think some of the last questions that we asked will address that. And I know we're coming up to the end of the time, so I want to get through all these. But before I even get to, you know, how you work with other agencies, I I do want to spend another second in something else that's community, which is your employees. Um, And last time we spoke, you mentioned that you're big into like internal education and you mentioned that you put material for free. And I think you said that 20% of your employees' time is is for upscaling themselves. So I just really want to at least touch that bullet point and and kind of say like, what does that mean? and, And what does that mean to you? Yeah, so um, I I buy a ton of you know I bought a ton of courses over the years and anything I buy everybody else gets to learn from and, and use um, and I share it with plenty of other agency owners all the time too which I'm sure much to the chagrin of the people who create the course and I, I get it I, I do I get it um, but it is what it is so the uh, internally um, uh, so like a a lot of material I've been sharing lately is, is frankly just from from um, like in the actual MBA, uh, working on MBA and marketing, and that's that's been a whole game changer. But internally, what we do is we say, hey, and and not everybody is able to. We want to make sure people know that they have the freedom to do it, and we really encourage it. And to some extent, we have to kind of enforce it because otherwise, people will just work on more client work. But the way that people get better over time is improving their skills and or learning new things. That's how you get a career advancement. I don't expect people to stay here forever. If you want to move on to something else, like I'm glad to be a stepping stone. Completely fine with me. But we we encourage people to spend. Um, at least one day a week where it's focused on learning something new. Um, and then usually uh, it's going to be usually towards the end of the month. We'll do a day where one person is taking and teaching other people. Um, and we try, we, I really like to the point where we're basically doing that every week. Um, it's just how do we balance that too with like the individual like learning time? Because I think uh, nothing, I don't want to force people to learn things that they don't want to learn. I think you're better off uh, exploring that's that's the whole point is like self-improvement whether it's i wouldn't care if i walked in there somebody was learning you know um something completely irrelevant to our business which i can't really think of anything off the top of my head of what that would be but uh you know i've got i've got folks who are you know by trade on the more sort of engineering side and they're over here learning stuff in adobe illustrator or photoshop right like just because they were they were instead they want to see what it was about so we try to encourage people to uh, to spend at least one day a week and and then like i said if we don't see people doing that like we just kind of clear off clear off their calendar if we have to manually and just say hey learn today go explore something um and then like i said we have people teach um once a month and that that also kind of helps with the um to make sure that people are doing it we also run a pretty small team so it's not too hard right now i can imagine being more difficult at scale but uh, it's something i i think i remember reading that uh, google does that and uh, I look at Google and say, well, you know, I'm not a $900 billion company, so maybe maybe there's something there. But uh, yeah, it's a big fan of, uh, of education. I mean, we're not called ordering growth for uh, for nothing. So it's it's about, <laughs> it's, a, it's about learning and growing. So, you know, I actually think it's more impressive with a small team because that's when you need even more hands on deck. And, and you almost could think that it's harder to squeeze in 20% time of, of just learning. Um, so I, I would be too focused yeah. on utilization and tracking time instead of just right. getting shit done. <laughs> yeah, touche. Um, 
So yeah, not to tie, you know, I have some questions at the end um, and it's really going to tie to, again, kind of that community and how you can work with other other agencies because um, that's what we're trying to do with this community is again, start this referral network and everything. Um, so how can you work with other marketing agencies or, you know, what services can you partner with other agencies? So in other words, you know, what do agencies tend to reach out to you for? It's usually one of two things. So some of them reach out to us who actually just want us to do the marketing. Um, that's one. Uh, we have like limited bandwidth and capacity on that. And we tend to charge a shit ton of money that most agencies don't really have the budget for. But, uh, um, but hey, if you're there, like, <laughs> let us know. But um, uh, you, a lot of them also reach out to us whenever they're, we don't do client work for them, but we will help them um, leverage our tech. So again, like we, we have a front facing version of our software that we've built that just rapidly speeds things up. Uh, we cut, I mean, something used to take like three to six weeks we can do in like half a day now. So, um, even though we have a front facing version, we don't make it public to people. So it's a tech enabled service. So sometimes agencies will reach out to us and say, Hey, it's everything from like the keyword research process all the way to planning. We built an algorithm that basically tells them, how do you know what content to create in order to get the best results in the least amount of time? And, um, like with like a high degree of accuracy and forecasting it out and all that stuff. And so they'll come to us and say, Hey, I've, you know, I'm at a pinch. I need to get this done. Like, can we hire you to do it? And we'll do that um, for agencies a lot of times whenever they need help there. Um, and then of course, refer them work too. whenever people are looking for stuff that we just flat out don't do. Um, I mean, a good example, we, we sometimes we'll just tell people close deals. We had, we worked with this one agency earlier this year who they pitched this company and I think they were pitched on that like 400 K was like what they were going to, the deal size and um they they the company was was less than impressed with what they what they came with and, and they're a solid company the, the 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 agency was they're great um it's just they were kind of playing in a different realm it's one of the larger accounts they were going after and uh so they hit me up and was asked like hey can you help with this and so i took a look at what they were doing i ran some data for them we did it and like i was like yeah when do you need it by and they said uh you know asap and i was like well i can get it to you in two days does that work and they said sure so we ran some data I took their sales deck. It was like a, I'm sure we've all seen this or done this ourselves, right? Where we think we got to put every damn thing in the sales deck. And it's like a 30 to 60 page sales deck. And I basically just stripped it all out and I gave them a seven page deck. Um, and uh, just, it, it's all about narrative, right? It's like, how do you weave the story? How do you just, you don't have to, if they ask questions, want to go in detail, sure, have that data, back it up, but keep your executive summary to like six, seven slides. Keep it like, here's where you're at. Here's where you said you want to be. Here's what it's going to take and here's why. And this is what the upside looks like. There's the investment. Do you want to do this? Right. It's simple as that. Right. But you know, we've, we've a tell a good story with when you do it, but, uh, they ended up closing that deal for, um, I took their 400 K out and I said, this is a $1.8 million deal. And so they closed their first multi-million. They closed it at 1.8. So that was, uh, that's okay. okay. There, there, there you go. So, um, that, that, you know, that's a, that's a one off that doesn't always happen, you know, but, uh, they had a good opportunity, a good client with good budget that had a ton of opportunity and was very aggressive and had funding and everything like that. And so it definitely, um, uh, right timing, but, uh, we've helped people like that before, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I, if, if anybody needs anything, I probably know an agency that can help them. So they can always reach out. And I'm sure I know somebody I've got a massive network of the people that I work with that's, uh, I think there's a really interesting opportunity of agencies to be able to tap into each other's resources. I mean, talent is scarce um, and labor labor arbitrage is real, right? So being able to not have to build stuff from scratch yourself and just 
have somebody that you can refer work back and forth to, I think is a, um, uh, there's not, there's just nothing really good out there, which maybe that's what you folks are working on of, of a way to facilitate the, you know, I mean, Slack is one thing, right? But it's like, it's not organized. You don't, uh, you, sometimes people have opinions and you're like, yeah, but do you, I need to see it. I need to know like kind of how, what you do because your reputation is on the line too. So if there was something to facilitate that, that would be, that would probably help a lot of agencies out. Yeah, no, I was going to say in short, that's that's what we're trying to do. And and you actually highlight a lot of things that we're kind of doing on the brainstorm side, which is we're not just trying to be a mastermind. We're not just trying to be a slack where we want to be the people that maybe put in a little bit of work so that you don't have to just to make sure that the referrals are going clean and we're not muddying up a slack channel or anything like that. So, I mean, I couldn't have said it better, better than you did. Uh, exactly. Marketplace, marketplace. Yeah. Like yes, exactly. Um, now I'm going to turn that question. You actually started answering it a little bit, um, but to ask get, to get the full answer, you know, if a client asks you, "Can you do this?" and it's a service you don't currently provide, how do you how do you typically handle that request? I just say no. Really? So not yeah. a like. I mean, if I don't, I mean, I, I say we don't do that. I'm happy to make a referral to you. Um, I don't white like I, mean, I don't white label people. Um, I don't. Uh, that just adds more headache on our end half the time. Um, cause we're used to have to do the account management, which is its own, like, com- there's lots of complexity there. So I usually just refer them to somebody and be like, nope, I don't do that. But, uh, here's somebody who does and make an introduction and say, I'll, uh, I usually treat it as like, here, we have a strategic partner we work with on things like this. That way it's not just like, I'm not just referring to this person. This is someone we specifically partner with. We built trust, right? With the client. They trust our opinion, right? I'm like, we know how to work with them. They know how to work with us. They're great. Um, matter of fact, there's, like they, for example, sometimes people like SaaS companies will come to us sometimes and want us to crunch this data for them. And then they always want the content produced after the fact. Well, we don't produce content for SaaS companies. Um, but we have plenty of agencies that do, right? And we have one who has worked with our data before, who knows how to interpret our data, who we've ran data for their own customers, right? They get it. And we're like, hey, no, we don't do that. But this agency over here, they work with our tech. We train them. They're great. They're solid. Let me make an intro, right? And then they you know, get a full-blown contract out of it too. And everybody's happy. So it's kind of like know your lane and uh, just build up a a network of people, you know, that you can trust that do the things that you don't do and don't want to do um, and don't want to like build out in your own company. So. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And I I know we're at the diva, just a few more minutes. to. I I got plenty of time. I'm good. I appreciate that. Um, If you were listening to this show, what topics would you want us to cover? Oh, let's see. I think. I think diving more into something that I think is lacking a lot out there is everything that goes into thinking about building enterprise value, um, which maybe not be, that's not necessarily going to be a good fit for your podcast if it's more community focused, but I would definitely love more content around how do we build enterprise value, which is sometimes through the network that you build and and the team that you built as well as along with all your assets, et cetera. But Anything around enterprise value and or anything around um, attracting talent predictably, I think um, that's the that's the, that's the next uh, we're putting people in place now to, to run this because I, I get bored with things. Right. Like I was talking about earlier. And so once uh, once those people are in place, like that's my next uh, next uh, problem to go tackle is how do we how do we think about building systems that predictably attract the right type of talent to your organization? So are great yeah no i think those are great so it's funny that you mentioned that um we actually have an episode coming up where we're specifically going to talk about enterprise value i'm trying to find the name of the guest 
I wasn't sure if that was him or if that was someone else that brought no, that. It's Aaron um, Gayer of GDX Studio. He specifically on our on our discovery call. That's everything that he drove into. It was uh, was how to build enterprise value, and he talked about positioning um, your um, the people that you hire as PLUs, which are people like us. Um, looking for team players, create mm -hmm. value for them. Um, and then he has these buckets for the people that he hires that he wants them to fill that defines his culture. And those buckets are personal, professional, and financial growth that he helps them work on. And um, so that's on the, it's interesting that you mentioned those two things because those are the two things that he specifically focused on. And um yeah. And then with enterprise value, it's just how do you build value within the company so that if and when, you know, whether you decide to sell it, there's a lot of value there with employees that are trained um, and will likely stick around and provide value to whoever acquire them. But even if you don't sell, you have a company that you enjoy working in. So yeah, I don't know this... what he's scheduled for, but I'm sure it's going to be within the next month or two that we're talking about that. I'll have to check it out. There's uh, this is something I've been thinking about lately where you've got, you know, it's easy to look at the equation for enterprise value, but like, oh, there it is. It's that simple. And it's like, well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of variables mm -hmm. that go into all of that when you unpack it right. And, um, you know, everything from like predictable customer acquisition, predictable revenue, like risk mitigation across different revenue sources, like, uh, you know, brand equity, which not enough people actually talk about. Like they talk about brand equity. Like it's just like a amorphous thing. And it's like, nah, like it's a, you can put it on the PL. Like there's a financial calculation for brand equity, right? So, like, and I don't think a lot of agencies really think about brand, like building their own brand. Um, but then, you know, and I thought like I was learning a decent amount about it in the the event I went to where this person's exiting for 200 million. Uh, he gave us a nine-page printout from Excel where he went through talks with like nine different PE firms. And he basically just over time consolidated all the questions they were asking him and you know if it was duplicate questions like about one it's a nine-page spreadsheet of very small print of just on these hundreds of questions across the various areas of your business that these PE firms would ask him in nine different ways um, over and over and over again and uh and I, you know I've, I've bought two businesses two agencies uh, previously and I'm thinking yeah I didn't do this level of due diligence when I bought these agencies and I'm thinking shit like there's you know I wish I'd have had this then, right? But I also think about if you operate your business in such a way that it is sellable, whether you want to sell or not, it's a great way to operate the business. Because you just sell it to yourself the next year, right? Just keep selling it to yourself by by holding your position. Um, but it definitely puts you in a you know a a good position um, over time. But the uh, a big thing he brought up, and a lot of people may not want to hear this, and maybe this is something you can talk uh, to your guest about. But every PE firm. Cause, so he runs a 500 person company and they're all like, well, 98, 95% are all located in one area, work in the same, out of the same uh, building. Mm -hmm. So they're not remote. And I know there's, you know, the whole big push around remote. And I think there's, there's pros and cons to it. I think it's telling that Zoom has called its own employees back into the office. But uh, he said every single PE firm would ask about what percentage of people are remote. What's the policy on remote work? How do you do it, et cetera? And a big thing that they wanted to see was basically if you're remote, 
valuation drops. They wanted companies that were not remote to mm-hmm. invest in, and because uh, uh, in terms in terms of valuation, and I think that that's a um, that's interesting, and uh, definitely goes against the current uh, zeitgeist, you know. But uh, it's not a problem we have. I tell everyone they can work remote, and they just keep coming to the office anyway. So I'm like, well, okay, here we are. So you know, but uh, but uh, I think maybe when you talk to them, uh, see if he's got any thoughts on that. I'd be interested in hearing um, what other people have to say and think about on the subject. Absolutely, yeah, it, sorry, list the questions for him. Uh, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, I thought I was having deja vu for a little bit there. I'm glad, Alex, you you remembered who said that. Um, and just to quickly add a quick note, uh, you know, my other job is I, I work in M and A, and you know, it's it's amazing how many how many people think that revenue is kind of like the the biggest thing and the only thing that matters when when trying to sell your company. And you know, they don't even think about profit. Uh, or you just mentioned remote workers, or how long the transition is going to take, or are the especially in marketing agency world, are there's customers going to going to going to retain and and how many and what percent and all that kind of stuff. And and I think when when people ignore a lot of that, they just think about top line, top line, and even bottom line. Uh, and it's not about mm-hmm. just bottom line. Yeah, sure, bottom line is going to be maybe factor number one in this, but but that's I'm making percentages up, but that's only sixty percent, right? Like you're or or forty nine percent, let's say. Um, that's and then, the table stakes, right? Like that's right. That, that that that's whether or not even, that you know it's even worth entertaining the conversation. Well said, well said. exactly. So, um, where are we at? We're a uh, couple more questions. Are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Oh, well, I would always love to find just a a rock star COO. I think, um, or you know, just anyone who's just solid at ops. That's a big one for us. Um, uh, we're actively looking for uh, for editors. Always looking for editors, uh, content editors, and those are probably the two two biggest ones. I think that would be would be great uh, right now for us in particular. So, you're you're killing me. I had a whole set of questions for COOs, and I was like, man, we're not going to get to, and we're blasting through time right now. Anyway, so for the next one, uh, yeah. last question: any uh, book, podcast, or newsletter recommendations, and and that can be in business and marketing. It doesn't have to be really anything you want to share. Yeah, best. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, Carol Dweck, Growth Mindset is great. Um, but uh, on the business side, Playing to Win by Roger Martin, one of the best books um, that I've read. It's uh, There's two types of, some people like it, some people hate it. Uh, if you can kind of get past a lot of the P&G examples, Procter & Gamble, um, it's uh, it's one of the most, it completely changed the way that I think about business and strategy. Um, that one's absolutely fantastic. He has a newsletter on Medium that's also worth reading. So Roger L. Martin, he was the uh, the dean of the Rothman, Rothman School of Business, and um, I think it's Canadian. Um, and then, uh, so that's a good one. Newsletters, uh, category pirates. Christopher Lockhead has a has a wonderful newsletter. I, I always enjoy uh, what they have to say over there. It's a it's a nice. Uh, that one's pretty solid. And then anything by Mark Ritson or Rory Sutherland. That's that's if I were to tell people it's like Roger L. Martin, Rory Sutherland, Mark Ritson, um, and and Chris Rockhead, which is kind of the antithesis to some of them, but uh it's a good balance. Those are those are four that are like not not many people, I think, in the regular everyday agency world know of, but uh people who are people in marketing know who they are. So well, Roy's the head head of Ogilvy, the you know, and uh uh Mark the branding for LVMH and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, those those are those are four I would definitely check out. I, I appreciate that. You might be the first one to actually came uh said newsletter ones, which I think is like the most consumable short version. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love Substack. I'm surprised no one no one brings it up. 
Uh, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Hey, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me. Um, I forget that most other channels exist half the time. Um, so, I mean, they're great for, for customers, right? Like, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me or um, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Slack communities. Anybody's, you know, I'm, I'm across several of them, but uh, uh, Superpath is a great one. And uh, all community, lots of those. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn, best place. Yeah, I had a whole load of questions about the the community, other communities you're into. But uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And for those of you who've learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality guests. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening, Skylar. Dude, this was a this was a power hitter of an episode, man. This is this was a I, I'm going to go back and listen to this like three times. So I appreciate yeah. it. Hey, enjoyed it, Alex. Enjoyed it, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.